I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Mentor with Mark Burris. All right. Welcome to today's episode of The Mentor. Today, we're talking about the drinks industry. Our first guests are Nathan Lennon and Dave Gibson. They founded Hawks Brewing Company. In April, they launched their first beer, Hawks Lager, in partnership, that's right, with former Prime Minister Bob Hawke. What a legend. It's such a great story, and I can't wait to talk to them. And after that, I'm going to be talking to Troy Douglas from Nexpa, N-E-X-B-A, a natural, sugar-free soft drinks company that's been around since 2010 and is gearing up to go global. Love it. They were the first to market with a sugar-free soft drink that had a natural sweetener and not something artificial, which is a huge space globally today. First up, Nathan Lennon and Dave Gibson from Hawks Brewing Company. Welcome to The Mentor, guys. Thank you. Thanks I love your two us, surnames, actually. Uh, we've got Lennon and Gibson. Lennon's obviously a very famous name, um, and Gibson is, for me, is a famous name. It's Jack Gibson. So we've got two famous names here, Lennon and Gibson. Like, it's nearly I thought, like, I reckon you could just about call your beer Lennon and Gibson. <laughs> That'll be the next one, I think. Yeah, the next one. Yeah. Like, but look, this is, to me, I, I've, I, I just for those people listening, I've got a six-pack of Hawks Lager sitting in front of me. They're cold, and I'm going to take one off the six-pack now. It's just... Like that, and I'm gonna now listen to this, everybody. Please listen because I'm gonna have a drink. I'm gonna taste Hawks beer, Hawks lager. Oh yes. <laughs> I just left Maddie Johns upstairs in the Triple M team. He would love to be down here now having a drink with me. It's uh, eight o'clock in the morning, by the way. I was gonna go. say, do people know what time we record this? <laughs> I love it. it. Tastes good. It's a good lager. Thank you. Well it's done. Okay, I, I I've had a little bit of experience because at one stage I actually own my own boutique brewing business many years ago um and we used to brew the byron bray beer and a number of other beers there was about 10 different brands we had we couldn't make any money out of it and in the end i got out of it but i did it because i always wanted to own a beer company everyone's every boy's always want to own a beer company you guys are up and running and i never got i wasn't successful that didn't work but the things that i want to ask you about are the things that i always struggled with so one of the things that our beer company struggled with was, first, was the brew itself, the, the formula. Mm-hmm. So who organized the formula, guys? I mean, how did you do that? You got, you got a brewmaster or something like that? Yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was an incredibly important thing for us to get right immediately, um, particularly with two of us not coming from the industry in itself. Um, You're beer drinkers, though. 
Absolutely. Yes. Always had a quiet obsession with the beer category. Um, worked on a lot of beer marketing over the years. Um, so for us, bringing a really, really strong product into the market was was really important. So we went on an extensive search um, for the right brewer, first and foremost. Someone that we knew had the technical ability to brew the kind of lager that we wanted to put into the market. But on top of that, someone that we felt could be part of our, our journey. Um, someone that really had a lot of heart for the for the. Do you want to mention the, the name? Yeah, it's a it's a great guy called Justin Justin Fox. Right. Uh, Justin's a um, really highly regarded craft brewer in in in, in Australia. Uh, yeah. So we did you pinch him from somewhere or no? We were we were fortunate enough to sort of get him uh, kind of just as he was leaving a a, a, a craft brewery, and um, yeah. So it was a bit of it was a bit of luck to be honest, and uh, yeah. So we we. Kind of guess pitch the pitch what we were doing to to Justin. We'd already actually been through like a couple of brewers. Um, we felt that we weren't really kind of getting to the place that we needed to be. Um, we were particularly brutal with with not only the the brewers themselves, but in just the the product that that we wanted the to bring to the market. Yeah, the, taste. the taste. I mean, it the, took us a year to to get to this to this yeah, brew because so, we knew we had a we had a strong brand, um, but that. You know, we needed to back that up with a very you strong mean, product. You mean you knew had a strong brand and having Hawk, Bob yeah. Hawk, yes. right? Yeah. Oh, yes. I'll come back to Bob. And so, because, you know, people listening to the show are all about coming up with ideas how to run businesses. And it always comes it comes down to the marketing, it comes down to the product, the production and the pricing and the distribution. Yeah. So, and they're the things that are, I remember were the hardest things when I was involved with the brewing business. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of to get your, given that neither one of you are brewers, the science of brewing is quite technical. So you found yourself a brewer who's obviously formularized this, so it always comes out the same every time, yep, hopefully. Exactly. You know? Can I ask you, where do you brew it? Do you brew it in China or are you brewing it here? We brew it here. Because yeah. yep. a lot of people brew in China because it's That's cheap, especially when there's bottling involved. Yep. I know this is a can. Um, did you make a decision around can versus bottle? Yeah, we certainly did. And what was that thinking? Um, can for That's me. your packaging. So, I mean, again, listeners, this is about packaging. Yep. I mean, packaging is just as important as the product itself. Yep. It is. Uh, so it, it was it was canned for us um, for many reasons. Um, you know, we'd, we'd heard that it was more environmentally friendly. Um, we knew we'd, we were looking to do something with a connection back to the environment. Um, it's cheaper too, isn't it? I beg your pardon? It's cheaper too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's cheaper too and it's cheaper to transport. And yeah. it, it, by all accounts, keeps the beer fresher. So. And, it, and, I, and I feel that that's the way that the craft category is going you, if you walk into any bottle shop right now you'll start you'll see the shelves uh, starting to get filled with with more cans um, so that's the way the industry is going anyway and and even from a nostalgic aspect you know we've got a um, an incredible um, figurehead of the brand who um, who's remembered from a time when all of us were drinking beer from cans so Cold even gold. just exit cold <laughs> gold even just even just that sort of I guess sort of um, emotional connection um we felt would um you know be really beneficial for us but that's interesting because it's funny i haven't had a drink out of a can for a long time um and i quite liked just then when i put my hand on it quite liked the feeling that there was a sense yeah. of nostalgia back to me yeah and i mean what most people don't probably don't realize is and this applies to a lot of products like olive oil etc um but light is one of your enemies when it comes to beer 
Um, you need yep. to, that's why beer bottles are brown or green or yep. something because it's about refracting refracting light. But Correct. aluminium doesn't let any light in, so no. you should get a lot better life. So it, that's quite an important thing in terms of percentages because you don't want anything to be wasted, particularly if you know, like you're, you're brewing, you know, as if you're do, you know, making eight million cans a year or something, you you need every so, can to stay, yep. and to be to Fresh. be right. Now this is good stuff, real good stuff. You got your brewing, you got your, I guess you got your formula locked up in a safe somewhere. Yep. Um, literally. Yep. Yep. Great. Um, and you'd have a copy somewhere in a file and have that file somewhere safe as well. Yep. Um, so that's, that's important. The second thing is, okay, Bob Hawke, I mean, who, I don't know, there wouldn't be a country in the world where you can call an ex-prime minister Hawkey. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, you're not going to call Trump Trumpy one day, you know, are you, I could never see myself walking up to Trump and saying, hey, Trumpy, and even though I know him. Yeah. Um, after he's been the president, but you can walk up to Bob Hawke and say, G'day, Hawkey, and yep. he's cool with it. Yeah. He's so iconic and he's so well attached to beer. Whose idea was it to come up with Bob Hawke and Bob Hawke and Hawke called his Hawke's Lager? Whose idea was that? That was our idea. Yeah. Well, we, it was definitely our idea because we were, we were, we were sitting in our um, office in New York on one cold January Australia day, actually. And we were just talking together and, and, um, we sort of, as we did it at, at a lot in our career, sort of found ourselves um, on other work time talking about business ideas. And anyway, we were talking talking about beer and we're missing home. And I, I think Nathan said to me, who would you most want to have a beer beer with? And I said, Bob Hawke. And, he, and that was in his mind at the same time too. And we just started talking about how awesome would it be if Bob had his own beer. And so we realized that he was, you know, 86, 86 years old at the time and he was probably wasn't going to wake up one morning and just go and do it. So. Yeah. So we thought um, we were fortuitous. It was fortuitous that we had a contact to him. So we started the process, um, sent him an initial proposal. He was sort of, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm interested. I want to meet you. So we flew back from New York and we found ourselves uh, in Bob's kitchen um, <laughs> with our other with our business partner we brought in, Luke Langton. Um, and the three of us are sitting in, in Bob's kitchen and uh, Bob's having a, a, a cappuccino with two sugars, and we um and it wasn't a boardroom. Yeah. Si- the funny thing about it is, is, it wasn't a boardroom situation. We come from an industry where every everything is perfectly prepared and organised for a for a meeting or a pitch. Um, there's a, a boardroom that's been set up, uh, and the table PowerPoint. Yeah, all that sort of. And stuff. And we walk in in you know suit jackets and and you know <laughs> and then we and Bob's sort of sitting there quite casually reading the paper and he's um, got four papers sprawled out across the, the the space that we're actually supposed to be doing our presentation and where we just get plonked down and and away you go. So you can never be you can you can never be too prepared. You just have to roll with it. And it was a it was a pretty surreal experience. And he said, "Yeah, yeah." About twenty minutes into it, he goes, "Well." Um, I'd be a bum if I didn't give you a go. So he, um, he, yeah, that's him. That's how yep. we, I can imagine him saying that. Yep. Yeah. And he using those words because we, you know, said we were quitting our jobs and all this sort of stuff and moving our lives back from New York. So, um, that's, you know, it was just the testament to the trust that he put in us as well. Three blokes that he'd never met. So yeah, but wouldn't have been well spotted. Uh, you know, like, I mean, you, you had a crack, but you sort of backed yourself that it might be, but he might be sort of like a take it up. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good spot. I yep. mean, and, Obviously, that's you know, it's Hawks Lager, and it's a photo for people who are listening. There's a photograph of, or not a photo, like a hand sketch of Bob on the front. There's, there's a great likeness to him. Um, it looks like it's it nearly looks like it's something on a, a twenty dollar note or something. Yeah, exactly. That's how it looks like to me. Um, and it's called Hawks Lager. It's a uh, it's sort of a, a light gray color with a blue a blue edge. It's it's very cool. It's not overdone. 
So in other words, it's not sort of trying to jump out at you. You haven't overdone. Does the idea of does Bob actually own an interest in it, or are you paying him to be an icon, or how's it work? It's a very good question. Um, we offered him a share of the business, um, and Bob, being the, the the legend of he he is, he gave his entire share to Landcare Australia. So oh, wow. As part of our presentation to to Bob in the kitchen, we um, the initial presentation was that we we wanted to give back to the community in some form as a company, and Bob jumped on that and said, "Look, you know, I, I helped establish Landcare in the '80s when I was in in, in office and made it a national movement. Um, I would like to give my share to Landcare. So we have a um, financial arrangement in place where basically Bob's royalties we would normally." Be giving to him go to Landcare Australia. That's brilliant. Well, that's you know that's testament testimony to the man himself. Yeah, and and a good job. So, okay. So you've got your that's your marketing. I mean, yeah. obviously you have got to put dollars behind. You got to get it out on the mediums and the platforms and let everyone know about it. And this is, I guess, this is sort of part of it. To be frank with you, and I'm and I'll be the first person to promote Hawks Lager uh, on this on this show for sure. Um, and I and when next we're going to get up to triple them, I'll be, I'll take up if you can send me another half a dozen. MG one half a dozen, Freo one half a dozen, and so yeah. many Johns. We'll get a pallet. We'll get a pallet. We'll we'll pal and uh, and we'll promote the hell out of it. Thank you, mate. But um, but I but I want to ask you the next thing. This really important part, um, distribution. I found the hardest thing when I was involved with the, the brewing business was the distribution of the beer. We were a manufacturer. We also did a few of our own uh, brands and getting distribution through. The liquor stores was particularly difficult because all the liquor stores are owned by Coles and Woolworths, etc. Even though they've got different names, pretty much all the brands, and it comes down to um, uh, competing with someone at thirty-two bucks a case when you've got to sell it because you're not selling enough. You've got to sell it at fifty bucks a case or forty-five dollars a case, and yep. you really got to be at the front of the liquor store when people walk in. Yep. And it comes to, and they all say to you, "Well, yeah, we'll sell it, no problem, but you've got to sell it for." 35 bucks a case yeah and which they just strip your margin out basically and they take the margin themselves at the end of the day um, it's because they see themselves as big marketing machines yep yep so how do you get over the just whole distribution piece how do you get your beer out there well um, yeah so we've, we're pretty fortunate to have a, an incredibly strong brand incredibly strong story so um, I think obviously one of the challenges for any um, craft small craft brewery these days is is distribution um getting through the i guess the gatekeeper so to speak before you even get the chance to have your beer in the hands of of somebody you actually have to get it through the person that's stocking it or selling it you have to get it on the floor you yeah. have to get it on the floor you have to get it on the tap um and it's incredibly well the taps are even harder it's incredibly competitive and you're right i think uh, definitely in the past uh it's either been the big breweries um that have that have dominated uh you know Carlton United breweries lie Nathan. Uh, the, the wonderful thing that's happening right now, I guess I'm calling it the beer democracy, is the rise of, of, of craft beer. Yeah, it's and, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's driven by the appetite of the consumer. The consumer's actually got, got a lot of the power now in terms of what they decide that they want to drink and, and their curiosity has been, um, has been whetted and, and they're really, really enjoying the fact that they can go into a pub or they can go into a bottle shop and they can try different types of beer now. It's Have like, you guys owned a pub or anything like that? No, or no. You, you, you Worked you, in a few. Yeah, <laughs> but, you, back but in the you're day. hanging out with people. Because a mate of mine, David Gingell, and uh, he's got Mick Fanning as his partner. They own Bolter. Yep. Yep. Bolter. And uh, they're selling through, they're through the Brunswick Hotel, but Gingell owns a Brunswick Hotel. Yep. Um, another mate of mine, Tommy Mooney, owns uh, Stone and Wood, yep. and he's been pumping it through his pubs, which he's got a few pubs in Byron and Bangalore and a few of those sort of places. And yep. they were big starts. Yep, 
they gave their their on tap. They gave their beer a big start because people got to taste it. You yeah. got to get you got to get this in people's mouths. Yes, and they've got to feel it, taste it, enjoy it, and say, "Shit, I want to buy that. Where do I buy it?" Yeah, that's so, sort of the game, isn't so it? So the it first, is. I mean, we're we're very strategic about um, the way that we we actually launch this into the market yeah. and how we see this sort of growing in its distribution, particularly on tap. Uh, we knew that because it's self, because we're self-funding the business and, and also just because we want to be able to manage and operate the business at a smaller scale to begin with, uh, we, we figured that we wanted, we, we had a concept called the first 11 named after, uh, the, the best cricket team. So always a first 11 and we all know that Bob loves his cricket, uh, which is essentially, um, 11 pubs to, um, to pour the beer first. Uh, so, you know, part of our, uh, I guess our, our sales pitch, you know, to, to these venues is you're going to be the first to pour Hawks Lager in, for instance, Sydney, which was, which was early, early April. Which pubs sell it? You gonna, uh, so we've got, give them a plug. We've, oh, we've got an amazing um, collection of, I sound like Trump, got an amazing, uh, the, the clock hotel in Surrey Hills, yep. the Chloe Valley hotel, um, the, the Lord courthouse. Dudley. The Lord Dudley. Yeah. So you, yeah, the and Dudley. you buy the Chloe? Yeah, you, can the buy, Chloe. you can absolutely buy it. The Chloe It's just up the road from my house. So that's. You know, in, it's your pub. quite important. The Prince uh, at Kirawee, which is down in the Shire. Yep. New one there. Yeah, the Green Roof in Newcastle. We also had a, uh, a Newcastle pub in there because uh, Newcastle, if you don't already know this, is the is the craft capital of, of is that right? Australia right now. Yeah, it's absolutely going going mad. Um, and it's particularly a good market for us. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of sort of working class, um, you know, good people there. And so... We feel like our story would really connect um, to, to to the beer drinkers there. I'll tell you something. Could I just stop you there? Because I, I just thought of something interesting. I went to a pub in Woolloomooloo. Um, I just wanted, like, it's a back out there at the back where all the houses are there. And uh, and it was a it used to be a crappy old hotel. Like, still doesn't look great on the outside or on the inside for that matter. And I walked in there. And I was I just wanted to get myself a, a Reshers or something like that because a lot of the old pubs still sell Reshers. Yeah, they do. The beer we drink around here. And uh, I looked at the taps. And there was a saw here, and it was starting wood. You, you guys probably it was probably before you guys even launched. It was before you guys launched, um, and there was not one beer hardly apart from a saw that I actually recognised. Right. All craft beers, and mm. we're talking about a Hauso area. Like mm. it's uh, yeah. obviously it's been gentrified a little bit around the people who go to the pubs, but this seems to be a typical thing of hotels now. Is it people, as you said, consumers want craft beers? They do. We yeah. actually even we actually even saw an article couple of weeks ago of, of a couple of RSLs down in down in Melbourne um, that only ever served uh, VB, Carlton Draft and um, something else. Anyway, they only really had three beers on tap forever. And they're starting to incorporate craft beers into the into into their tap space and I think one of the big ones even probably got knocked off. Uh, so even within, you know, sort of the older demographic um, there is curiosity out there and, and it's an amazing thing. And, and it's also good to see venues are really getting behind it. I think it's expected for some of the venues that like to think they're quite cool to do it, but to see your old, old school pubs yeah. and, and your RSLs starting to kind of embrace this, I guess, democracy of, of beer is, is pretty amazing. And it's incredibly encouraging if you wanted to get into the, into the beer industry as, as well in any capacity. But if you're a brewer, it's competitive, but you know, there is a shot. They used used to have no chance. They, you'd walk into a pub and Tui's would have it locked up, or or CUB would have it locked up. And, and what's the what's the implanty? I mean, like, because I mean, a lot of what I know, a lot of people have done in the past with small brewing business, which was always my intention, to be honest with you, was to get up to a certain point and sell it off to one of the big guys because I thought, oh, well, 
that they, they, they big guys will pay you money just to take you out of the market so you don't take market share from you, um, from them, I should say. Um, what's your goal? What's your long-term, what's your exit? Do you have an exit strategy? You've got to have an exit strategy when you're in business. It doesn't mean you'll take that exit, but you need a strategy. You need to build your business for an exit, and then when that time comes, you can decide whether you want to exit or not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're definitely in a building phase, and I think we, you know, our end goal is to, at the moment, is to basically build a profitable business that we can all we can all sort of live off, live off basically, because yeah. at the moment we're not really paying ourselves anything. It's all going back into the business. Um, so that that is what we're really trying to do at the moment and, and build that dream of having our beer company. In in two or three years' time, of course, we'll, 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 we'll reassess then and look at it. But at the moment, we're just, yeah, really focusing on on making this thing profitable and, and paying the rent, so to speak. Two of the biggest houses that I've ever seen, um, you know, in Sydney anyway, were owned by two big families. One was the Toos family and one was yeah. the Resch's family. And the Toos family estate is on like maybe three or four acres right in the middle of Darling Point. Wow. It's now owned by the Moran family. Um, it's like a, I'm not joking, it's like a medieval castle. It looks, it looks like a medieval castle. It's ridiculously big and it takes up like, you know, a percentage like a reasonable, significant percentage of the whole of Darling Point, and they made it out of selling beer, and uh, and if you if you get this right, you can make a small fortune out of this beer, and you know, and it's going to come down to can your brand, your and your brew and your distribution dominate, or take market share exactly. And 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 I, I from what I'm seeing and the taste already, and I, I'm not getting a sense of it. You're on the right path. I mean, it's now you're going to need a little bit of luck and you're going to need some big partners and you're going to need some big balls and you're going to need some uh, big marketing plans and you're going to need, yep. and, and you're going to need uh, Bob maybe to probably help out a little bit from where he can. Yep. But you've got all the ingredients there. It's, it's just, and this is all an ingredient based thing. Even the packaging, I think, is really good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I really geez. like it. Uh, well, guys, is there a question you want to ask me? One Definitely. question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you probably get asked this a lot. Um, so obviously we're only six weeks into the, into the business and, and everything's going really well. Six weeks from your launch. From the launch. Yeah, but you've been at it for a little longer than that, haven't yeah. you? So yeah. two years and six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, Feels like 50. Yeah. It does, mate. <laughs> um, uh, my question was, we're getting a lot of interest from around the country already. Um, our social, uh, social media, our, our email inboxes are getting filled up daily with not only beer drinkers, but venues, pubs and whatnot, actually reaching out to us um, to ask when the beer is coming, when they can get their hands on it, when they can drink it. It's a pretty fortuitous position to be in as you're just, as you're just starting. Like we're in our infancy, infancy stage. Um, so I guess for us, obviously the temptation is there to cater to that demand. Um, but, you know, we, we're smart enough to know that um, businesses die because they can't handle their growth. I guess my question or our question rather is with that kind of opportunity in front of us, genuine opportunity to grow into the market and probably get national really, really quickly. And, and how long is a piece of string kind of growth? Um, what are the things that you feel that we should, um, watch out for? Um, just fundamentally, I suppose, um, and what other kind of and what other piece of advice would you have in t- in our position? That's, that's a very good question, and it's a question I have uh, I have some experience in it. So back when I when it was when I got Wizard going, I had a lot of interest in the Wizard 
um, business. People were talking about, can we supply your funding? Can we help you with this, help you with that? And there were, I could see, and Aussie was around and Rams were around at the same time. Um, and I had, was in precisely the position you're in. Um, we're getting a lot of inquiry and I thought to myself, do I just sit back and just step my way through it or do I go really hard fast now? The downside of going really hard fast now is that um, um, I wouldn't have enough money to do that because everything's up front. All my money, it's the same in your business. You've yeah. got to brew the beer, you've got to advertise the beer, you got to market yeah. the beer, and, and it takes a bit of time to get it back. So, and where, where you, if you go hard, because the opportunities, if you go hard now, where you'll fuck it up is if you run out of capital yep. and you can't fulfill. Yep, exactly. The alternative to that is to just to go slow. But the issue with that is that, in my case, there are another hundred brands coming up behind me. Yep. And I thought, I, and, and then all of a sudden I'll be one of 103 brands as opposed to one of three brands. So I think you might be in the same position. So the way I look at it is what I did to fix that issue was I took on a partner with deep pockets mm-hmm. and I took the view that I'd rather only own 50% of the business than own 100% of the business, mm-hmm. but get the business up in the top three. Yep. Yep. And because it's a bit like playing squash. Once you occupy the middle of the court, it's very hard for anyone to beat you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't even, even if they're better than you, mm-hmm. because you just got you've got all the leverage. You can move forward, left, right, or centre, and you've got control of the of the court. I think you may want to consider that. It might be a time with all your inquiry to consider dilution of your equity stake, get some money into the into the business, and just go hard. Yep. Or if you can't do that, then take the alternative. Goes. Don't use your own money. Go go more purposefully, but bear in mind you're going to have a lot more competition. There, and for me, it's always the first one. If the first one's an opportunity and someone else can put the dough in, and it's enough to keep you going, I'd be doing that, and I'd be diluting my percent. I'd rather have fifty percent of something that's huge yep, yep. than have a hundred percent of something that's small because small ultimately dies. And in a follow up question to that to that answer then is. Um, Choosing the right people to to bring onto your team, whether it's the day to day capacity or whether it's in let's just say an investor, obviously is incredibly important. Um, instead of taking what's called I suppose dumb money, um, you know, obviously that's 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 yeah, that's yeah. key, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred you know, percent. I, I, I think we we've probably got a lot of confidence, and we probably feel that if we just had capital, we could we could probably. Grow capital comes in two forms: is money capital and, and um, intelligence in- capital. Exactly, intellectual. You need an engagement capital. You need patient, engaged capital. Mm-hmm. And so, look, I I know that um, Daniel Petrie, who runs Airtree Ventures, um, you know, they just raised a couple hundred million dollars. Someone like and Daniel was involved in the wizard business with mm-hmm. me many many years ago because he was working for Kerry in those days, and he, you know, he was he knows how these things operate. And, and we're going back to two thousand or nineteen ninety nine. So he's experienced this stuff. But someone like Daniel Petrie, even if you go and talk to him at Airtree Ventures, um, they're a venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're the sort of organization, after they've done all the work on you, if they made a decision to invest in you, they actually help you build your business yeah. um, because they want the business to become really valuable one day themselves. Of course. Now, they might not be beer experts, but they're experts in cash flow and distribution and advertising and marketing and they have the ability to go and buy things cheaper than you do because they've, they've probably got 20 or 30 different investments and they, they buy cheap. Um, so... For me, I got Packer because – not because Packer owned a TV station, because Packer was a professional investor 
and actually had a team that actually helped me build my business. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I was able to build my brand through their TV station. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's this is you either got to get someone who can help you distribute your beer and be an investor. I don't know who those people are. I guess it's the Coles and Woolies or all those sorts of people. And I don't know if they have appetite to invest either. Or you've got to get someone who's an investor who can help you build your brand, yep. which is TV stations or media people. Or you've got to get someone who's puts the capital in who has access to these organizations or understands how it all works. Mm -hmm. And someone like Daniel Petrie's or Airtree Ventures does exactly that. Mm -hmm. But there are others as well. There's Blackbird as well. So that you that's what I think you should do. Yeah. Um and they and you know, they're they're good people. They're not there to rip you off. There are a lot of um, rip off merchants out there when it comes to investors mm -hmm. and they'll you know, they'll sell you everything and deliver nothing. The professional ones, the big organizations tend to be much better and much more gentle and more nurturing. Mm -hmm. Maybe not necessarily just because they are genuinely that way, but because they know that's the only way to build these businesses. You have to nurture the brand. You have to nurture the formula. You have to nurture the people, which is you. You have to actually build it and build it and yeah. build it. And, uh, and, Sometimes you need to have a second round of investment and a third round of investment. There's no point going off and getting a couple of punters, blokes, mates or whatever and going raising five million bucks or three million bucks, whatever it is. And uh, then you say, shit, I need another three. And these guys just collapse because they've got no more. Yep. You, you just accept that there is a great possibility you might need a second round. Mm -hmm. And some like Airtree Ventures, if they say we're there for the first round, might be half a million bucks or a million bucks, they usually speaking will underwrite the second round. So, and the second round people come in, one of the first round people still want to be there. Yeah. Yep. So they'll say, okay, in the second round, we need to raise 3 million bucks. We, we Airtree Ventures, they say to all the other investors, potential investors, we'll put in the first half million. And that the second round investors, they like that because they say, oh, they were there for the first time and they get back for the second time. That's the process you need to go for. That's why you need to go to these professional investors who've got reasonably deep pockets, they, you know, they put you through the mills in terms of due diligence and understanding the whole thing, but they're very good at it. Mm -hmm. that, uh, that's what I would recommend. Okay. Thanks, yeah. mate. Thanks, good guys. Nice. This is excellent. I love it. And there's nothing better than having a beer at 8 o'clock in the morning, especially <laughs> Hawkeys. Thanks, See mate. you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers, mate. Up next on The Mentor, we talk to a young guy who has carved out a niche in the natural sugar-free soft drink market, sort of total opposite of what I've just been doing, drinking Hawks Lager. And this company is only getting bigger. And I've got an array of stuff here right in front of me. It looks very impressive. Okay, our second guest today is Troy Douglas. And Troy looks like, and he actually, his name sounds like one of those old Hollywood actors in the 60s and 70s and something like 77 Sunset Strip or something like that. It's a cool name. Um, and, and what's even cooler is he's got a business called Nexbar, which is a soft drink business, which is a soft drink business that specializes in natural sugar-free drinks, iced teas, fizzy drinks, and all that sort of stuff. I've got an array of this stuff here in front of me. It looks very impressive. The packaging is good. I can't wait to try some of it. Um, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you, Mark Porras. I'm excited to be here. Um, right. You've been around for a while, seven years, which by the way, in startup land, isn't that long, um, yep. but seven years to you probably seems like a lifetime. I think we're just ready to be that overnight success. How old are you? How old are you? <laughs> I'm 27. 27. So it's uh, more than a third of your life, or yep. nearly a third of your life. You've been in this, so it probably does seem like a long time to you, but uh, when as you get on, one day you're going to look back and just say it was nothing then, and uh, 
And I, and I think I, I look older than what I am now. <laughs> I, it's all relative. And uh, and tell me a little bit about why you decided this. Where did you come from before you did this? I mean, how is it that a 27-year-old guy can get into the soft drink industry or let's call it, yeah, there's a soft drink industry and that has no alcohol in it. And why did you get into sugar-free, et cetera? Yep. Great question. Well, essentially my background's law and communications, but I must make reference to Drew Bilby, who's my business partner. So he actually had the idea originally back in 2010, he was in Rio Nexpa, a place in Mexico. He says he was drinking non-alcoholic products, but I'm sure there was something else happening. But he was inspired by the options of beverages over there and he came back to Australia and asked me to join. So Drew's background is an engineer and I'm a, um, I studied law and communications, but I was very fortunate. There's people that um, inspired me in business. So a lady called Sharon Williams, who is in marketing. So she was a CEO of a company called Taurus. And she basically, I worked with her really closely and she led a really amazing business. And I, I knew at that point that law may not be the thing for me. And my business partner, when he came back and shared this idea, I was like, let's get cracking. Just like that. Pretty much. So it, how we got how we got started is because of his background, we actually imported a canning line and set up a factory in Hornsby. So place uh, at the time, so we're talking about soft drinks today, but our passion, our vision was we wanted to transform people's lives by creating naturally better for you products and have this naturally brave brand. So for us as young guys, we wanted to give it a crack and take on an industry, which as you say, is typically pretty hard and it's it's owned by big brands. So whilst we're looking at soft drinks, the story of the where we started, which was iced tea, we picked a category in Australia, which is very, very tiny, which is around 2% of the beverage market. And what we did was be everything that the big guys, which at the time were Lipton and ST, weren't. So we One of these is an iced tea product? Um, not there. Not the there. Iced teas are being relaunched next month, uh, Caltex and all our big partners as naturally sugar-free. So... The products that you've got in front of you, we obviously started in in being better for you, but we spent six years, and with my business partner's background, he's, I guess, a bit of the the expert in this area, but we, we wanted to match the sugar curve. So we're passionate about why is stuff that we drink today packed with sugar that's causing some of the biggest health concerns like diabetes and obesity. So that was a big thing for us. But now when you crack one of these open, we're pretty, pretty pumped up because they We've managed to match the taste of a full sugar Let's try one. Drink. So I'm going to open up uh, next bar, and it's NEXBA, um, natural orange. So I guess it's an orange taste. Um, Absolutely. Sugar-free. Um, and I'm going to – I'm not a big um, soft drink drinker because, because of sugar. Yeah. Um, I, I ordinarily wouldn't drink soft drink because of that reason. But I would – but I'm often – but I'm not a big water drinker because I don't really – I don't dig the taste of water. Yeah. It's going to taste. So as a result, I get dehydrated. So <laughs> – It'd be well, good to have a drink that had taste, but that wasn't sugared. Well, we're, I'm completely biased, but as he takes a sip, we'll see what he thinks. <laughs> that's very good. So, so this, is the, this is the orange that's one. That's the orange. So th- how these products are in front of, obviously you can't see, but there's um, the Domino's, there's a couple of products there called Next Gen, and that's crafted by Nextbar, which is our business. So an exciting relationship that we built recently was with Domino's, the, the, obviously the renowned for the the pizza company and we knew that we could match the profile and the taste of what are the the biggest soft drink flavors like lemon and cola and for us it was about not taking over those products but what we want to be is that alternative to a category that's the fastest in decline to really encourage people to 
take healthier alternatives and options when they're drinking? Okay, so and let me just go back a step yep. for everyone listening. So just in terms of the product, um, the formularization of the product, the technology around the product, yep. where they come from? So we've lodged a patent. So our, our background, we've been self-funded for six years. Recently we've done our first capital raise, which has been an amazing personal experience for both Drew Bilby and myself as founders of a company which we've bootstrapped to date. Uh, the IP in our flavors is we've literally spent six years working with the best flavor technicians to be able to create the the product that you've just tasted, which obviously gives the feeling of a great sugar tasting beverage. But the uh, the thing for us is, and the challenge that we've got is natural sugar free is almost synonymous with being artificial and bad and not trusted because of many multinationals brands that have been launched. And for us, our big thing is we've been under the radar for the last seven years. You might not have seen it before, but we've actually got pretty amazing distribution in Australia. So the opportunity for us is to now step up and make the definition of naturally sugar-free as being no sugar and nothing else. So you own the formulas? Yep. A bit like our beer company, uh, Hawks Lager beer company guys who were in earlier than you. Um, today, you've got this locked up somewhere on a computer and it's got it backed up and you've got it locked in a safe. We've, we've lodged it to patent as well. Yep. Okay, so. good. So so you have your formulas, formulas and I guess there's a basic formula, then there's flavors that sit on top of it, yeah. I, I, I presume, that in terms of your technology or your, yeah. your technology around this. Um, your, where do you manufacture this stuff? So <clears> we have, when we started, obviously, I had that little factory out in Hornsby. That was designed for us to get to the market because at the time we had a can which was 355 mil in size and one of those thinner cans, likes of Red Bull, and nobody in Australia could contract pack a non-sparkling product for us. So we went down the route of setting up the factory. But that experience allowed us to then build quality relationships with contract packers. So our, our contract packers today are the likes of Campari, Diageo, um, so big, big contract packers in the Australian market. And the model that we've built and my role as now the global CEO of Nexpo is about taking this authenticity of the brand and the story and the quality of our product. We want to share this Australian brand internationally as a first to market with naturally sugar-free product propositions beyond what you see today. Soft drinks is obviously because we reinvented ourselves. We wanted to focus on the biggest category renowned for sugar, but the IP or the formulation that we've got is transferable beyond just beverages. So for us, it's about being focused winning in this category, driving the benefit of a healthier alternative and trying to encourage people to make better choices. Let's talk about distribution. Um, so you got your formula, so that's your product. Yeah. You, you got your manufacturing uh, ability, you know, your capacity. So, you, you know, if someone rings up and says, we want 10 million cartons, you have the, you know, you know what you can and can't supply. Yeah. So, you know, that's, in other words, that's fulfillment. Fulfillment's a really important part of any, in any product process. Um, what about distribution? So how do you distribute? I mean, how, well, more importantly, you know, how did you get on, how did you have floor space or shelf space? Yeah. I think one of the best things that has allowed Drew and myself to build this brand as the, the Torsi boys is ultimately we've reached out to people that are incredibly successful in the industry. I'm surprised we haven't met because I've, <laughs> I've reached out to a lot of people in business and learned their stories. XM days of Coca-Cola, uh, basically, um, Emma and Tom's the founders of, uh, Nudie, uh, thank you. All. I'm good mates with Daniel Flynn and, um, the founder of H2 Coco, David Freeman. So we all support each other in how we build our brands. So from a distribution standpoint, 
when we started and we weren't in this industry, we picked route cafes, that type of environment to get some traction. And we literally produced, everyone thought we were crazy. We had a hundred thousand bottles in a warehouse and we never made a sale of a product. We just made them. Um, so then we had this dodgy old combi, which ended up dying on a highway, um, with Drew driving, but we spent time literally selling into cafes. And the exciting thing for us is we're getting traction. So then when you, for a business model to be successful and to get volume and to compete in what is a tough landscape, we actually needed to step up and focus on building customer centric collaborative partnerships with big, big companies. So 7-Eleven, um, we would say we're born again in April, 2012, when 7-Eleven became our first national company. But how'd you get there? I mean, how, how'd you convince 7-Eleven to just put your stuff on their shelf? We, it's a funny story. Um, we spent 18 months trying to get a meeting, but the gentleman um, that we met with, I, I feel like I'm going to give him a call out as he's, he's left a, a multinational now, so he's out on his own doing a business. But Dean Spencer is a guy that actually saw and was wanting to support small brands, but he was a, a buyer in a big organisation. He actually gave myself and... Thank you, Water, a good crack. Um, but he, once we got this meeting, we knew we needed to be successful in the meeting. So we also had a meeting with BP that same day. And basically we were, uh, there was a bit of, we need an answer in this meeting. Otherwise, BP are going to run with this. Yeah, a bit um, of petty tension. <laughs> which, which fortunately for us, they left the room and for the, about a minute, Drew and I were really nervous. But they came back and they <clears> gave <throat> us a crack. And the, the fortunate thing for us is we needed to, we knew we needed to prove uh, a sales benefit, an incremental benefit to our customer. And that's the story that happened for us in 7-Eleven. So we took a stagnant category to 26% growth and our two facings, which was a watermelon and a peach iced tea, was contributing 68% of that growth. So it allowed us to then take from a distribution growth story, it allowed us to then have a re-engage Cowtex, which is one of our best partners today. They're launching a whole shelf of next bar. So we're going to have seven products in them being the four soft drinks. So you're talking about servos. Servos. Yeah. Um, That's a, a big distribution point. Big, big distribution point. But then we evolved mm. into, obviously there's 80% of, it's just the, the market that we're in in Australia, 80% of volumes going through the big grocery chains. So then we, um, like what we did in with 7-Eleven and petrol stations, we replicated that with the likes of Coles. And they've been an incredible partner for us. So these, the soft drinks that you're tasting, that was developed in a sense of partnership of, um, as, cause the way that we're also able to compete is we know we're about innovation and developing, but we don't have the, the money necessarily to waste on a lot of data, which can be really expensive. So for us, it's about leaning on all our partners. What yeah, insights asking them, do what do they want? Yeah. Or what do they know their customers want? And then we bring it to market. So another fun thing that we've done in the past was similarly with Virgin Airlines, nobody really wanted to create the product that they wanted. So early on, um, we basically said, we'll create the product that you want and just sort of developed a, for that, for us to do that, we need some support in terms of volume, et cetera. Um, but that was a really great story in the early days, um, in terms of sharing the brand and as a, a, a PR, I guess, way to share what we're up to with, with other buyers in different, ca- different Do these markets. guys like Virgin, for example, um, <coughs> and 7-Eleven or Caltex, are they sort of trying to promote themselves as being someone who promotes healthier outcomes? I think that everybody in business should be able to find the best uh, s- stories that support. And I, I genuinely believe in authenticity of, 
of brand. So I'm comfortable with big, big brands like that supporting. And our biggest thing at the moment is we want to work with these customers to segment and create this new category called naturally sugar-free. So for us to now having built distribution, the reality is, is we we're comfortable with the distribution that we have. We now need to step up the brand awareness so that our sales will exponentially grow rather than just organically moving off the shelf. Well, let me talk about brand awareness. Yeah. You're called Nexba. Yes. Uh, now, I, I get Hawk's Lager because, I mean, immediately I know what that means. It's called Lager <laughs> and it's Bob Hawk on the front there. Yeah. Nexba is a, a little bit more exotic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> doesn't mean it won't work because it's easy to remember, easy to spell. It's got some – it's got the right letters in it in my view Yeah. Uh, f- f- from that point of view. But what does it mean? Is Good that the question. place in South America where you're part it was in, you were, It was inspired by Rare Nexpa with a P actually in terms of I wish there was a more sexy story and I probably need to work on this with <laughs> somebody. But how, how it's evolved for Drew and I is the reason why we chose it is we were passionate about creating a brand that for us to be defendable in this tough market, I think you need to have both brand and product. So for product for us, we're first to market with what is going to be the most valuable proposition. From a brand perspective, it, you're right. It's a bigger challenge when a word means nothing. But ultimately, if we can uh, make our values reflect our brand, the Aussie boys, the authenticity, naturally brave is a fun aspect. Then ultimately, long term, it allows us to step beyond having been in iced tea to then go to soft drinks to then evolve into the other categories that we're looking at. Um, so for us, it's about making the brand and next beverages Australia. Like it's just, it's got to mean um, much bigger than just the physical product that we've got. So, but you've got next bar and you've got next gen. Yep. Why two different brands? So the next gen that's in front of markets in a can, that was a exciting trial for us, which the, it's been a, I can't share too much, but that was done in collaboration with Domino's. So for us, it was about, working with our customer, what they saw in Nexbar was, because it's also got crafted by Nexbar, is our proposition and the naturally sugar-free IP. And they, for them, they're really passionate about, they want a brand that, that grows with their business. So that's like a brand for Domino's. Yeah, correct. So it's, um, so it's like a, a white label. Yeah, essentially. But it's also <clears throat> part, like a, a pure white label in a sense wouldn't have Nexbar on it. But for them, they wanted to have a brand for their stores. Yeah, their I actually like it better than Nexpo. Like, I'll be frank <laughs> with you. I think Next Gen is better than Nexpo. It means more to me. Yeah. It's the next generation. It's the evolution of soft drink. Yeah. Um, um, next bar, next bar can, Pepsi doesn't mean anything either, you know, but nor did Coca-Cola when they first set it up. It obviously yeah. means something today, but it's been a hundred years or whatever. And there's been a billions of dollars spent on it. Um, and yeah. obviously it's been obviously clearly successful. Um, how do you, and you, you know, you've got a comms, you know, you're a student of comms and let's take the legal stuff out and just, yep. just the comms, um, that's marketing and, uh, communication. How do you communicate, uh, to the world at large next bar as a brand? How are you going to do that? Well, that was going to be one of my questions to you, Mark. <laughs> nah, nah. Yeah. Ultimately we've, um, we've been really strategic. We've got a, a really amazing network on our, on the board. We've got the likes of Phil Bodock, ex Jim Beam. Um, President Paul Zarek, CEO of David Jones. And essentially for us, what we focused on and what's allowed us to be in business having self-funded for six years is we focused on building traction and distribution. Now we've got that platform to 
elevate because we could have gone out to market and I, I've heard made a big noise about stories, your name. Made noise mm. about a name, wasting millions of dollars. Can't distribute. <laughs> can't. The product's no good. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, no. And I think your I think your steps are right. I, I guess what I've done here is I've actually jumped straight to the the, the remaining point. Yeah. Um. Your product's good. Yeah. You got your distribution right. Um. Your your You've got your manufacturing right. That's you know, from all accounts, everything's working. Yeah. Um. Obviously, making a few bucks out of it, so you got it. It's actually flowing. There's there's liquidity and there's yeah. revenues and dollars are coming through the the shop. So people are buying it. Must be buying it and experiencing it. The 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 last thing left is you wanted to st- you want Nexper to stand for something and Absolutely. everyone to talk about it be on their lips. I don't know about it. That doesn't mean because I'm a survey one and I'm. I don't drink – ordinarily wouldn't even go to Coles and Woolworths, so I don't go looking for this stuff. So yeah. and I don't order anything from Domino's, so I don't know Next Gen either. But I'm not – I'm actually not a good target. Yeah. Um, so, But that doesn't mean, you know, Hugh here, who's our producer, he, he may know it or Nick Boris outside, he may know it. Yeah. But what I want to know, if, uh, you know, like uh, you're, you've done one round of funding. Correct. And I, and I don't know how much you raised, but you, you, it would seem to me that you need to have a, a capital kitty yep. ready – to promote the shit out of this. You know, th- this is the sort of thing that needs to appear on the front of the New South Wales State of Origin jersey <laughs> or something like that, you know? I think that... People are going to say, who's that? Yeah. On the back of the bus. Remember the Tommy Hill figure? Yeah. When they they launched? Who is Tommy? That was that was their campaign. Yeah. Who is Tommy? Everyone went, I don't know. Who is Tommy? And eventually Tommy Hill figure came out. So that's sort of... That takes a lot of dough. Yeah. And it takes a bit of time too. Is that was that what you're thinking? I... Yeah. I think they're all valid points and I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I think the exciting position that we're in, the sales rates for us is we've now we've established a baseline. Now it's about, for the brand of Nexpa, what's bigger for us and what we're passionate about as owners of this company is naturally sugar-free and that proposition of no sugar and nothing artificial is what we want to create and the association of Nexpa as being the first brand that's in that category is a big thing for us, which is why... We're excited about partnerships like the one we've got with NextGen with Domino's because for us it's about getting these naturally sugar-free products available. Ultimately, in terms of establishing Nexpa, we're in the midst of uh, – Working something out. Working. We've got some really amazing people. There's David and Rowena Morgan who are also some Nexpa legends, ex-big ex caliber in terms of marketing backgrounds. And for us it's about how do we make it's, – it's about being fun. So to be honest, we just want to create a lot of content – we want to build advocacy in terms of people that are passionate in this area, the likes of Jamie Oliver, Sarah Wilson, uh, yourself. It's just about who who else can we get to join this network. One thing that we've done, which is kind of exciting, a guy called John Bacon and David Simpson. John Bacon's an expert legend. He's invested in our company. He believes in what we're doing. He's physically, he asked if we, he's, a, he's like, Troy, Drew, is it okay if we brand my yacht, I'm trying to do a race from Melbourne to Osaka, break a world record, but I believe in what you guys are doing. Do you mind if I brand the boat next bar? And we're like, John, oh, I don't, I don't, absolutely, <laughs> let's do this. Um, but ultimately it's about building this movement and momentum. We've been holding back um, for a reason because we, we want to make sure that what we do, everything has a return because we're not a multinational with endless buckets of money. We actually want to do justified investment that can get a decent return um, that can drive and help us grow our business. So for us, it's about impact ideas, things that are being a bit brave as a brand, 
um, to create conversations, engage people that have influence and have already okay, social influences and influences yeah. generally. You know, yeah. like uh, I get that. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. It's probably a lot cheaper to doing it that way. Yeah, people who actually believe in it who are influencers. Um, yeah, can I ask you that something I'm confused about um, is you say you're the only naturally sh- sugar free, which I accept that. Or the first, first mark, yeah, yeah, first. Um, but. I don't know if that means anything to me because I, my I thought I just assumed that there's lots of naturally sugar free and I, but then I thought about it and I thought what does naturally sugar free mean? Yeah. So no you, sugar and nothing artificial. Okay. To continue questions though. Okay. So I still don't quite. Well then, and then the question is, how does it taste sweet? Yeah. So in that, so the combination of natural sweetness that we've used and we spent time on is stevia and erythritol. Right. So they're both. It's when we launched, for instance, stevia was not a thing, but we always had that in our products. Um, but then it became more of a thing when companies like Pepsi Next and like those brands all launched those products and spent a lot marketing those ingredients. So for us, we've been able to create that great tasting stuff through a combination of natural sweetness. Mm. Um, so you're right. So you're using stevia as in the stevia plant. Correct. Yeah, or yep. an extract of the yep. stevia plant. You know, what would be interesting is if, if I saw a little stevia leaf floating around and then you said that was, you know, like, you know, you mean you know, they used to have the worm in the, uh, they, some of those Mexican drinks? <laughs> like, because I don't think people know what stevia is. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, I've grown it as a plant. Yeah. Um, and I've tasted the leaf. I'd grew it on purpose so I could just yeah. taste the leaf. And it's it tastes ex- pretty good. It's ex- pretty, very, very <laughs> sweet. <laughs> extraordinarily sweet. I mean, one leaf would be, I don't know, be equivalent to a lot of teaspoons of sugar. 200 times the sweetness. It's amazing. And, yeah. uh, but like, I think, I think there's an education program here still necessary and maybe you guys, but Jamie Oliver's made his brand as a result of educating people about and stuff. That, and that for us is our, our focus uh, in building a really proud Australian brand that's first to market in a big category. For us, it's about both naturally building this naturally sugar-free to mean no sugar and nothing artificial. You look in the market at the moment, there's millions of dollars being invested in products that are calling out no sugar. They but they've all, got artificial they've all got artificial stuff. And that, that stuff freaks me out because I don't even, I don't <laughs> want to have that because I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know what the hell the artificial thing is, yeah. you know. And it could be like breast implants put in there, you know, because who knows what it is. They're yeah. artificial too. That, so, yeah, that so is a bigger challenge. I, 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 wonder, I, I wonder, and I'm just, you know, sort of shooting We're the wind here. Yeah, workshopping <laughs> this. Is, but I just wonder whether it's um, you become first in Australia to maybe not – just necessarily have the the uh, naturally sugar free beverage, yeah. But you, because that's a mouthful, and just in itself, I just found it difficult to say it then. But like, but more importantly, that you become the first Australian company to uh, build a campaign and yeah. education around what is a safe sugar free drink to have. Yeah, you know. Because we don't know. I know. I don't want. Do I want something manufactured overseas? Because I don't know if it's manufactured overseas. Is the ingredient, or even if it's manufactured here, but they're importing ingredients that are artificial. Are they? They is there an arsenic plant next door, or what, what's yeah. going on? You know, like I mean, you you see these sort of things all the time for products that come from overseas. We don't know. Look, I remember the blueberry scare about four yeah. or five years ago. They were poisoning people because the blueberries were being imported. Yet everyone thought blueberries were good for you. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. That for a brand to be able to have a big education component, that's a that's a big focus for our business. It's obviously a harder thing to do than just be a brand getting out there being sexy. But ultimately, I think it's the to create a longevity in a business that's being established a change. So for us, 
we know the more people that drink our products, that's less sugar that's being consumed per year, which has a quantifiable benefit to you need a platform you know you and you can do it you're the guy to do it um you know you you got the right look and you you speak well and you you know what you you know your product obviously i think all you need is a platform i mean jamie oliver's i don't want to take you away from he's just a he's a chef but he got a platform he got a tv show and he decided to turn that take control of the tv show and turn it into his platform to promote something that jamie oliver needed yeah and he attached attached books to it. I mean, Sarah Wilson's done the sort of yeah, same absolutely. thing. She did it off a TV show originally. Um, everybody needs a platform. I think you need a platform maybe, yeah. and you maybe you need a platform partner. Maybe you need to cut someone in who's got a platform and like a TV, I don't know, MasterChef, or yeah. I don't know, I don't know, a radio group or somebody who's understands that the value of their platform in return for some equity perhaps, yeah. but you use their platform to build a program for educating educating Australians or anybody for that matter, but educating people around the importance of having sugar-free, uh, naturally sugar-free drinks. I think in our 15 minutes you've already suggested what I genuinely believe is a good strategy. That's going to be a brand. To focus That's on, going to so. be because there's education involved. What does yeah. naturally sugar-free mean? Yeah. Uh, what are the alternatives? How bad is that for me? Yeah. Where do they come from? And ultimately you're not telling people to buy your drink. You're yeah. just directing them to where your drink is. Yeah. Uh, you're not saying take my take my product. And Jamie Oliver's not saying buy my book or watch my yeah. TV show or Etc. Enroll in my, you know, my courses. He's not saying that. He's just yeah. saying, oh, I'm doing something that everyone says, yeah, I want to do that. Where do I find out? Jamie Oliver. Yeah. So you just need a platform. I reckon you could do it yourself. I mean, I haven't met your, <laughs> your business partner, but you could do it. Seriously, you know, you're young enough. You're you're part of that generation. You understand it. You're passionate about it. You believe in it. Yeah. You know, you're a good style of a bloke. You just and 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 you can deliver. And you got good partners. And you got people who believe in you. Yeah. My gut feeling is if you get yourself a platform, I did it with Wizard. I did yep. it with Yellow Brick Road. I Channel 9 is my partner. They gave me their platform to launch my product. Yeah. I got a good I got a good product, but I needed to get it, tell people about it. I just needed a platform. And media companies is where your platform. It could be News Limited. I don't know who it's going to be, um, but, you know, maybe you need to do a Sarah Wilson, write a book about it and yep. make a big noise about it. And then someone's going to come pick you up, say, shit, this guy's a good talent. Maybe you need to, and you know, I think your talent is good. Just from you know, on this own this, this show here, you, um, you, you, if you could use your talent, not as a beverage person, but as a talent, yeah, a communications talent. I think today brands need to mean a lot more than a product. So for uh, for us, we were, all, and if you think of every like the examples you're giving, the question I was wanting to ask you was how how did you establish and build that brand? And uh, I use a platform. You used a platform. I had a great product. But I'm, you know, I, I've obviously, I've, I've developed to become a talent. Yeah. I use The Apprentice, The Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah. I use a TV show. That's another platform we use. Yeah. I'm using this platform, this this show here. Yeah. To talk about small business owners. And and just because I want to try and help small business owners. And that's why we yeah. call the show The Mentor. I, I, everybody needs a platform, a communications platform. Yeah, absolutely. And you just got to find the platform and then work it hard and develop your own talent around the platform and around the message as opposed yeah. to... Just your talent to produce a great product. Yeah. And the product will follow. Yeah. Uh, so I answer your question without you even asking it. Thank you. You're uh, welcome. Well, <laughs> well, go on. You got a question? Well, that, that is my question. But the, essentially, I'd love you to, at some point, it's about us building this naturally sugar free movement. And you're right. How do we make, how do we utilize the assets in our brand and our business to share the message of what we're trying to achieve in a bigger way? So my question to you is would you come jump on our next for racing yacht? At some the, point. the the what the what the our next racing yacht 
The one um, that's going to Japan. <laughs> you don't need to come to Japan. <laughs> but I'd love to I'd love to get you out there. Yeah, sure. Like just around the harbour or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no problems. Beautiful. No problem. No problem. And I really? believe in this sort of stuff and I and I think it's great Australians are doing it. I think it's great young blokes are doing it. Yeah. And I think it's great that they're you're you're having a crack and you're doing yeah. a good job at it. Yeah, one whilst I've got you, I'm not sure if we're wrapped up in time, but in terms of evolving or experiences that you've seen people taking brands and extending overseas, um, what has been, what do you think has been some of the best strategic advice to, for a business to step overseas? So to give context further, we've been spending seven years to everyone's point we've got and people that have backed our company is we've got a great distribution, but still nobody knows of it. So the, the, we know that we could be 20 times bigger if people know, know of the brand. Um, but in terms of being a leader and managing a team and stepping overseas, Drew and my business partner, we've separated, he's leading and inspiring our Australian team to get traction and results. The question is now, how do we, and you're probably going to say the platform, but what is the best advice for taking a, a brand that's got traction into international markets? Well, I mean, the, my, my, my observations, because I've never taken one international myself, but my observations about those who have, like Ugg boots and you know, those yeah. sorts of things, it's, um, it's what is Aussie. What, are yeah. the, what do the rest of the world want from Australia that we're known for that they don't have? Asians in particular, yeah. clean, um, non-polluted, um, healthy, um, reasonably priced, um, and, and, and natural, like it's a good natural product. So yeah. Australians are known for that. Australians know, you know, if you go to places like Shanghai and Beijing where it's unbelievably polluted, it's why they all want to live here because there's, there's yeah. no pollution here, relatively speaking. And everything here is naturally and natural and safe. Yeah. And I think that's a great part of your brand, natural and safe. Yeah. yeah natural, nice. safe, natural, safe and healthy. I mean, what else do you want in the world? Yeah. That, that, Natural music, This is music to my ears. If, <laughs> if is, I'm going to put it in my body, <laughs> Hugh's going to put in his body. If I, my kid's going to put it in their body. Yeah. If my grandkid's going to put it in their body, I want it to be natural, safe, and healthy. Yeah. Whether I'm in, in be Beijing and I'm more so if I'm in Beijing or Tokyo or Moscow or somewhere where things aren't that way. Yeah. One of the things we take for granted in this country is natural self and health, uh, uh, safe. Natural, healthy, and safe. We take that for granted. The rest of the world is searching for it. Yeah. Well, we're, that. we're, yeah, Drew and I are just incredibly passionate as the next Rosie boys about taking these, this product proposition that we've developed, which we know there's no excuse for beverage companies to not be here. People are putting artificial stuff in. I've met with incredible big multinationals overseas. And for me, it's like uh, everyone's delaying what is, should be available today to to create that natural health and, and healthy safe. and safe environment. But, but if you're going to go to, say, America, for argument's sake, yeah. it's control market. Yeah. You're going to need get, you need a cheerleader for you over there. You're going you're to have to have someone who's not going to make sure the doors don't get closed on you yeah. as opposed to being opened. You know, your product will open the doors, but yeah. they'll close the doors only if they think you're going to take market share. So you need to have a big brother. I think the model that we've built is about tapping into big partners in yep. international markets who can who believe genuinely in our, our story of what we've created and they've got the infrastructure to be able to, to share and make these products available quicker through their network. And for us, it's about how do we 
ensure that we're adding incremental value to these people's businesses, which is relatively easy at the moment because if they're a company that's built their business on products that are um, more old school, packed with sugar, all that type of stuff. Defensive. People are exiting that stuff. Yeah, they're, they're going to play defensive. They need, yeah. to, they need to control their market loss. So yeah. this is a, is a perfect way of doing it. Yeah. This is cool. Good on you. So, nice meeting you. No, I love, I love you. the drink. It was great. Seriously, it was good. I'm not just saying it. I really yeah. did like it. I look forward to you coming out on the boat. and <laughs> yeah, look, make, make, it a calm, make it a calm day so I don't get uh, seasick. <laughs> That's less fun. It's all about, it's <laughs> yeah, all about exactly for you. <laughs> Very nice to meet uh, you. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. This has been The Mentor with Mark Burris. You can follow Mark on LinkedIn. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.